This is UCD Business Impact. Each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, the first thing I want to do on this edition of Business Impact is bring a little sound to your ears. If you just bear with me here, hopefully you can pick all this up. Now, that is the sound of a whiskey glass. And that is how an awful lot of us will be seeing in the end of what has been a truly, truly challenging year. There will be some whiskey sampled over Christmas at home and at other venues. Uh, food serving pubs, of course, are open at the time of recording. And it will be something that will, people will be toasting to the new year because they really want to move on with their lives. And the industry itself is had a tough time. And here to discuss the health of the Irish whiskey industry, both domestically and globally, is Jack Teeling on a special edition of the Business Impact Podcast. He's the founder and managing director of Teeling Whisking Company. He previously worked with Cooley Distillery. He's a BCom UCD graduate, by the way, and he's also operated on a number of other boards as well. So you're very welcome to Business Impact, Jack. Uh, delighted. Uh, thanks uh, for having me and uh, delighted that you could uh, uh, support the national uh, spirit uh, um, with a glass of, of our finest to, to, I suppose, mark the end of a very interesting and, and, and unusual and challenging year. Um, and it is, it's, a, it's an industry that, you know, if we are thinking about supporting local and we're thinking about supporting, uh, you know, indigenous Irish companies, Irish whiskey is a great way to, to, to support and uh, ensure that uh, if you are toasting in, hopefully uh, better times in 2021, you have a glass of good Irish whiskey to do so. Okay, listen, th- thanks for that. And you didn't even mention your own brand yet. So we'll get to that in, this, in the course of this podcast. It's great to have you along because we're talking to you at a time when the industry has literally, literally never been as successful and as big around the world as it is now. We're heading towards the historical peak of 12 million cases of Irish whiskey sold in Europe, the US, North America, Asia, all sorts of different markets, very varied and diverse set of markets that it's moving into and growing. It was an industry that for you know, centuries was a world leader, kind of got knocked back uh, by the Scot- Scots, but they have now, or certainly the Irish whiskey industry is resuming, uh, coming back up towards the list. So we'll talk about that in a second. First of all, a little bit about yourself, Jack. You left UCD a, a good few years ago now, and you've been involved in the whiskey industry in various guises for over a number of years. You're, you're quite a young uh, member of that industry. You picked it up, I suppose, from your father. Do you want to just tell me a little bit how you got involved in the industry to start out with? Yeah, well, you're, you're giving away my age there. So it's, it is quite some time since uh, I've been in UCD. Uh, I went to St. Paul's in Rohini in, in the north side of Dublin. Um, I was lucky enough to get into the BCom. Uh, I ended up specializing in management in my final year because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, and actually, uh, as I was told in first year BCom, that uh, they expect you to, to follow on your, your base undergrad education with a uh, postgrad uh, uh, qualification, and I did that. I, I was lucky enough to get into the MBS program in the Smurfit Business School, uh, where I specialised in the financial services side of things. Because, you know, I was in my final year, and I was like, oh, "What? What are we going? I don't really know." Uh, but yeah, sure. Look, it's no harm knowing how to make some money, and uh, uh, I, I, I worked my way through that, coming from let's say more 
um, qualitative background rather than quantitative background, but uh, ended up going into financial services straight out of um, college and actually uh, got my break as a graduate in uh, the Treasury Department of the Anglo-Irish Bank, uh, which was uh, good for your CV at the time. It's not quite so uh, uh, good now, unfortunately, but uh, I was kind of an entrepreneurial bank, which was interesting. Uh, but I was in the Treasury, so I wasn't really involved in the lending side. Uh, and I worked there for, for around two years or so and did the journey to Australia. Um, and I worked in financial services and travels. Came back in a very positive frame of mind, not really sure again what I wanted to do. And I got an opportunity uh, uh, from my father to come in and work uh, just in the whole range of companies that he was involved in. And in particular around Cooley Distillery because someone was trying to uh, you know, acquire it at the time. And I came in and I was, you know, I was open to... to figuring out where I wanted to go. And uh, once I got exposure, uh, direct exposure from working in an industry where you actually tangibly make something that can only be made in Ireland, that uses Irish cereal, Irish air, Irish labor, and has all this provenance and heritage, uh, and then can go and attack the global market. Uh, you know, just really, I connected with it. And uh, I felt that, uh, you know, there was something in it. And I saw the opportunity firsthand and this was around uh, 2000, 2001, um, because at that stage, Ireland was re our Irish whiskey was really beginning to explode internationally. It was, it was, it was it transformed from you know a very domestically focused uh, industry in the 80s and 90s, and it was really the early stage of it going global, uh, and in particularly the US taking off. And uh, you know, I saw an opportunity there, and I ended up staying. Uh, I remember I was saying to my girlfriend, who is also ex-UCD, uh, who's now my wife, <laughs> uh, 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 that oh, I'd stay six months or a year and I'll learn something. But uh, I ended up being there for, for, for near 12 years. Um, I'm working my way up through uh, the different ranks and uh, uh, ended up being the managing director in 2010. And I was there when the company was acquired by uh, a company called Beam Inc., uh, who had um, um, spun out of Fortune Brands and uh, was a standalone drinks company then. And they saw the opportunity for Irish whiskey. And, uh, you know, at that time, Cooley Distillery was the only way into the category. And uh, um, uh, uh, the shareholders decided to sell. And that created a perfect opportunity. And I suppose a blank canvas for me to step away from, from I suppose, the legacy of my father and, and Cooley Distillery and take all the learnings that I had managed to to get into consumer insights, trade insights, and uh, you know, put my mark on what I felt uh, was needed and the opportunity um, uh, that was there for, for Irish whiskey. And really since 2012, um, uh, the category has, has, has really evolved from a domestic indigenous manufacturing basis because at that time there was only really three players. There was Pernod Ricard was the biggest player who owned Irish distillers, the, the legacy old monopoly. So they have all the big brands of Jemison, Powers, Redbreast, you know, a lot of the brands people would think, but they all come from one company, which is controlled by the, the French multinational Pernod Ricard. Um, and uh, Diageo uh, at the time was, was uh, uh, involved uh, um, with uh, Bushmills and Tonnemar Jew was owned by Grants. Um, and then there was, was, was Cooley. So, so now, let's say four companies kind of involved in the space, uh, one small, smaller indigenous player in Cooley, to where we are now in 2020, uh, where there is a whole explosion of newer entrants into it and, and, and smaller distilleries all around the 
the islands of Ireland who, who see the opportunity and are trying to carve out a niche and an opportunity for themselves. The sale of Cooley, the company you were associated with, was for a fairly hefty price, um, certainly in Irish terms. Do you think that's almost kind of got everyone saying this is kind of a bit like the Klondike? <laughs> There's a bit of a gold rush here and all these distilleries are opening up, well, it seems, almost on every street corner at this stage. Do you think some of these people are coming into the industry because they they say it's a, an easy route, or at least they think it's an easy route to, to um, a big uh, dividend payoff of some kind at the end of all of this. Do you think that's fueling some of this growth, or is it just a genuine passion for the industry itself? I, look, I, 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 I would say to anyone, uh, you can see, because 2012, uh, it was a pretty bleak time uh, in Ireland. Uh, you know, the media, everyone had endured, you know, our worst recession, everything was negative. Uh, there wasn't a lot of positivity around. So the sale of Cooley received a lot of attention uh, and it seemed to trigger or plant seeds of opportunity in a lot of entrepreneurs in Ireland at the time. And, uh, you know, the category needs new entrants and needs a lot of innovation, uh, needs people coming in, challenging what people do. Um, um, and, you know, since 2012 to where we are now, the category has basically doubled, which is amazing. Um, um, because it had grown quite a lot uh, on the previous 20 years as the, you know, the fastest growing premium spirits category. But, you know, it's a challenging industry. It has significant barriers to entry. You're competing against multinationals who have integrated vertically into the distribution networks. And, you know, they're good at what they do and they have brands that have been around for a long time. A lot of the bigger brands uh, companies would say they're custodians of brands because the brands they have have been around for hundreds of years. So, so they have massive brand equity. Um, and so it is challenging. And I think if you come into the industry without the industry knowledge or specific consumer insight at a global level, not necessarily just at a domestic level in an industry like whiskey, it can be a challenge. So, so there is a, uh, you know, a range of, of newer entrants who, who have, uh, uh, some industry experience, some who don't. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how, how it evolves uh, over the next number of years because we're still, you know, this is a, it's a long-term industry. I always say that, you know, to be in it, it's like a marathon. Uh, it's not a sprint and you have to do the right things consistently over a long period of time to be successful. Um, so we're still at those early stages. And like everything else, I'm sure there will be bits, of, there'll be shakeouts and there will be success stories and there will be consolidation um, um, but you know, I suppose we're still early stages in the evolution, but it's amazing to see the levels of risk capital that have been invested in the industry over the last, you know, 10 years. And your yeah. And is that money going in, like are, are shareholders putting money in themselves or these bank loans or, you know, how, how is the whole thing being funded? I'd, I'd be very curious to know, like, how are all these distilleries getting the money to, to get up and running? Are people just, as you say, native entrepreneurs are just plowing their own resources in or how are they funding this whole growth that you're talking about well the the, the largest investments have come from the largest companies so um and the biggest investments have come from primary cards uh in particular um because they have the they're they're the, have the lion's share of the category and have been enjoying um and the growth but also see the longer term opportunity as we expand out the distribution of Irish whiskey out of the mature markets like europe um, um, the U.S. in particular, who've been the, the engine of the growth into Asia and you know Russia and uh, the wider opportunity as as the category goes. So they've invested very heavily in expanding their production, their warehouses, and so forth. So you're, they they've if you ask them, they're probably talking that they've over a billion invested into the category over the last ten years, which is great because you know it proves that that the the opportunity is there because they can see it firsthand. 
Um, um, and the same with Tullamore Dew have built a new distillery down in, uh, in just outside Tullamore. Um, they're owned by Grants, which is the largest private uh, uh, um, Scottish whiskey company and have brands like Lemphitic and Hendrix Gin and big brands like that. So again, they see the opportunity. Bushmills is now owned by uh, the Jose Cuervo uh, company, um, uh, tequila company mainly, um, and have also been investing quite heavily in it. So, so I, I think the sums of money are huge for them, um, but you're still talking, if you're a startup small distillery, you're talking millions. You're not talking hundreds mm. of thousands, not like craft beer where you can get a uh, a brew house up and coming fairly quickly. Uh, um, it's it's hard to uh, get into the category. It's expensive, and most of the smaller guys have raised risk capital from a multitude of different ways. I think a lot of the seed money came in from friends and family, as they normally normally do. But there's been a lot of American money that's come in. There's been a lot of money raised through EIIS. There's been a lot of money raised through forward selling of casks and different things like that. Um, and sometimes the investment in an industry like whiskey is, is quite emotional <laughs> um, um, rather than use your heart that you want to be involved in, let's say, a small rural distillery in an area that your family was originally from, that you like to go from a holiday. So, so you support it uh, because you want to support that rather than see it as, as, as a money-making uh, investment. So, so there's a multitude of different things like that. But and Jack, I was just going to ask you, actually, the, the whole presence of celebrity, <laughs> celebrities involved in this. I saw yesterday Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, I got The Rock, launching a new tequila brand. Obviously, Conor McGregor has got a brand out in, in this whiskey category, and he seems to have, sales seem to have exploded very quickly in a short period of time. Are these kind of one-off things, or do you think that branding and marketing budgets are, are just massively important to this, or do you think there's sort of a, you know, you get short-term buzz around a particular, you know, drink, and then it kind of moves on, it's not necessarily sustainable, or what's your, what's your kind of attitude towards these uh, celebrity-driven kind of drink campaigns that are starting to come into even to the whiskey category itself? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question, um, uh, and it kind of, in a way, shortcuts the the marathon. Um, some of these brands have got up and running and sprinting very quickly. Uh, interesting, um, let's say, uh, parallel uh, brand that launched at this really in the U.S. at the same time as ourselves was a brand called Casse Amigos, which was the George Clooney tequila, and uh, they literally launched and, and and we were actually selling more than them in the first year, but uh, uh, the George Clooney effect. And also the, the, the dynamic growth for, for tequila in general in the U.S. Uh, uh, allowed it to, I suppose, um, scale a lot quicker than, than a brand like ourselves. So, you know, it's amazing to see the impact, in, particularly in the U.S., how celebrity endorsement, social media engagement can short circuit and, and fast track brand development. And there was brands like Avios Tequila that were on... Uh, um, different uh, television programs that, that proved that that worked. And I think uh, um, it, it's only getting bigger. So, so I think it, 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 you know, there's a lot of them out there, but some of them have proved to be quite successful. And I think the, the Conor McGregor uh, Proper 12 uh, uh, launch has, has taken everyone a little bit by surprise. And they've, they seem to be recruiting consumers not from other Irish whiskey brands, but from other categories. And it tends to be the MMA kind of consumers in particular, um, but, you know, the longevity of this will be interesting to see because normally what happens is sometimes these can, can you know, grow very, very quickly um, um, in kind of a, a faddish type of way. And then 
uh, um, they kind of can deflate and and then reset at a lower level. But you know, it's it's this is new for our category, so it'll be very interesting to see how how it develops. Suppose that uh, prompts the further reflection, which is wh- what sells a whiskey. I mean, we're looking at cost, we're looking at taste, as you just said, we're looking at brand. Maybe people are very, you know, into the national origin. So wh- what do you see as kind of the, where would you place them in order of what kind of really drives sales? Well, what's the one thing that sort of everyone wants to get right? Or how, how would you rank those different attributes? Yeah, well, I think it comes to the core of what we do at Healing Whiskey. And, uh, you know, I think what people, there's a difference between brown spirits um, um, and white spirits. Um, brown spirits, uh, you have to age. They tend to have a lot of provenance and heritage. They tend to be in areas that or or you know, categories and countries which have been doing it for a very long time, um, which is important to consumers. Um, um, but research that we found were it's good. You need to have the roots, but you know, the younger consumers that were driving a lot of the consumption of Irish whiskey and premium craft spirits in general, they were more interested in what are you doing for me today? Like, you know, are you just living off past glories or, you know, how is it relevant to me? Um, and that's, that's the, I suppose it's a, it's an opportunity, but also a challenge in, in whiskey is that, uh, you know, research has found that consumers put as much thought and effort into choosing what goes into their drinks cabinet or you know what they drink when they're out then it it is the 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 um the brand of car that they drive so it's very much an extension of your personality and uh, you know they found for a brand like jack daniels um it's not the taste that they're 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 into but it's actually when they're up at the, the bar and they say well i want a jd and coke and it's the buzz and the, the association with the brand that gives them that sen- sense of satisfaction and, and uh, you know, desire to do it. Um, the way we look at it in, in teeling whiskey is that we start off with the liquid. Um, and I'm a firm believer in, in, in the quality of what's in the bottle because at a functional level, if you're not, you know, at a world-class level, if you're not producing something that's world-class um, and you're not going to exceed people's expectations, I think you fail before you get in the game. Um, so to get in the game, I think you have to have a very high quality liquid and proposition. And for us, we focus on, on functionally different. So things that taste different, so that we're not, we can't be compared to anything else. We taste functionally different. And then we layer on the brand and, and all the messaging that goes around it. So, so also I think people consume more now with their eyes as much as with their taste buds. So, so you can't under deliver on your packaging and how you're represented. And then, for me, it's also what the brand means and what it means to people. And I think, you know, what we wanted to do was very much uh, represent modern Ireland and modern Dublin and uh, not live off a lot of the history on Dublin Irish whiskey, which you, you mentioned, it, you know, it's deep, goes back a long way. But we want to represent where Ireland is today. And that's a confident, you know, country with well-educated you know, uh, uh, young population who were going, if they choose to go around the world, they do it because they want to, and, and they know they're going to be successful. Um, and uh, who, who are, you know, driving, you know, the startup community that's here and, and you know, the next wave of, of, you know, global Irish business people who will put their mark in the category. And, you know, I felt that people, there was nothing in Irish whiskey that represented that and I could connect to. Okay. Uh, even the brands that we were involved in, Cooley, they just were, they were all older brands and mm. I wanted to do something a little bit more modern. So, so that's why we, we, we went with the teeling whiskey approach. And the reason why we went to Dublin to build our distillery was we wanted to tap into that, 
you know, the rejuvenation, you know, uh, of, 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 of a brand, but to do it in a more modern way and to do it in an area that had the history, but to build a new distillery there. So, so we like to say we're respectful to the past, but confident to forge a new future for Teeling, Dublin, and, and hopefully Irish whiskey. Yeah, I mean, it happened hundreds of years ago, but the move from Jemison's uh, Distillery from Dublin to Cork, some people are still trying to <laughs> still trying to get used to that idea uh, hundreds yeah. of years later. But you're absolutely right. Some people just love the manufacturing process. They get very tied up in that, and it's absolutely vital to whether they, they buy the product or not. Um, um, obviously, the Scottish um, industry has gone in a different direction, historically quite different to the way Ireland does it. How important is that heritage piece then, do you think? I mean, I, I notice on the front of a bottle of whiskey, there's a lot, a lot of writing there. You know, the label is, there's a lot of cluttering, you know, triple, distilled, you know, the traditions, the, the start of the company, where it comes from. You know, there's usually a crest on a lot of the older legacy labels. I mean, does that still resonate? You mentioned that you've tried to invigorate it with a newer approach, but um, wh why do the whiskey companies see that as absolutely vital? And obviously, they're, they're not dummies, so they know exactly why that they're putting it there. There must be a resonance that they feel is really important. Yeah, it is, and it's, it's consumers' expectations. Um, and you can go, you can be very, you can go crazy and and and, and really challenge uh, people's expectations. But you know, there there's this view of of let's say there's parameters you can operate it in and you can push it either which way but if you go over that i think it, it actually consumers start going well something's not right here um and uh, you know we've been involved in different projects um, where people brought in kind of um this is from my cootie days uh, a very white spirits mentality of of building brands and trying to make it work in in in, in whiskey and they failed because they didn't really understand what consumers are looking for and what, you know, when they see their, their product on the shelf, okay, it might be in a very unusual bottle. It might be in a very, you know, uh, a stripped down label, but you're not uh, giving the consumers what they want or what they expect. Um, so there is an opportunity to challenge it, but there's, you have to challenge it in the right way. Um, and, uh, you know, I think because of that history and because people have grown up, you know, with, their parents or grandparents or whatever, it's been around for a long time. Uh, uh, they don't want to lose all that, but they want something interesting and unique within that. And I think, you know, I learned a lot by going to the US in the 2000s, let's say from 2002 and three in particular up to the 2008, when it was really the explosion of, of localized craft spirit producers in the US and the explosion of that end of the market and you know i suppose the the evolution of of craft brewing which was already established at that stage and you know it was, it was from doing some consumer research in there and, and and looking at what people were important you know they did say the provenance and heritage was important and 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 uh, not having that i suppose uh makes it harder to establish your credentials um but having that is not enough uh, and it's a combination of 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 the relevancy i'll say it again and the, the, the feeling of, of connectivity to, let's say, a 25-year-old uh, um, who's, let's say, in the U.S., and you have old, 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 dates, 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 all that kind of stuff like that in a bottle. Um, uh, you know, they pick it up and they look and they go, mm, not for me. Um, um, but, you know, if you have something that has, you know, that anchor to the past, a little bit of the, the roots, the origins that are there, packaged in, 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 in a way that kind of goes, oh, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's uh, like the other premium spirits that I, that I consume, but you know, I know it's a whiskey. 
um, and you do some activation around it to bring the brand to life in a, in a, in a I suppose, a modern, relevant way, that's the way that I see uh, you have to do it within, within the category like Irish whiskey. Um, because I don't think you can turn your back on, on the hundreds of years and the many people and characters. And it's really the stories behind the brands that people connect to. So, so I think it's, you have to nail your story and understand how you fit in that complicated mix of past and newness um, to really make a success. Jack, is it fair to say that we've all witnessed the, the growth of craft brewing? As you said, you go into an off-license or your supermarket, yes, there's still the Heinekens, the Carlsbergs, the Budweisers, but they're, they're nestling on the shelf alongside a lot of new arrivals, um, smaller brands that have kind of disrupted the whole industry. And when I look at sales of Irish whiskey or just whiskey generally, you still see the big brands up there. You've mentioned a few of them. We won't give them too much policy additionally, but Jemison obviously is one, Tullamore Jew, Bushmills, these names are very well known. And nipping at their heels are, are some of the smaller challenger brands, I suppose that we would call them. And um, you, you would be among those. I mean, do you, do you think that the way craft brewing went up against big, big um, beer, do, do you think that's kind of a, a different thing? Or do you think something similar, a similar type of trend is possible in the whiskey area where some of these big monolithic brands could be challenged someday by some of the smaller brands that are coming up through? Or, or do you think it's just almost impossible because the, the grip the bigger brands have with their large marketing budgets and you know they've got worldwide global resources? How do you see that sort of um, settling down over the next five or 10 years? Yeah, look, it's a very good, good question. And, uh, you know, I suppose if you look domestically, um, we're quite a far way behind a lot of other markets around the world. So, you know, we're not at the cutting edge of adoption of, of you know, craft beer. We were very late to the game. But, but what I like to say in Ireland is that once we have the confidence to adopt it, we, we go, it goes like wildfire uh, and goes, it grows very, very quickly. Um, um, uh, I just think beer to spirits are they're quite different. There are similarities. It's all down to consumer taste and wanting demand. Um, but the decision making process to, to drink a beer versus buy a bottle of whiskey is, is quite different. But the parallels that I would say is that uh, you know I think they in a way craft beer added to the category um, um, and uh, you know they they didn't rob you know the consumer that's going to drink uh, a standard lager versus someone who's going to drink a very heavily hopped IPA or something like that. They're not necessarily the same, um, um, and there's a bit of challenges around uh, uh, you know converting those those people to do it, and particularly uh, if they've been drinking that style of beer for a long time. So so you know I think a lot of the craft beers are really catering for for younger consumers rather than the older consumers, and and we're seeing the same in, in whiskey um, because. We're a very mature market for Irish whiskey. And I remember when I was growing up, um, and when I was in UCD, like no one drank whiskey. It was like, you know, it wouldn't be a normal thing for people to be drinking whiskey, uh, 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 you know, as a student or anything like that. But, you know, it's, these things goes in cycles. And, uh, you know, where we are now is you, they say you don't drink what your parents drink, but you might drink what your grandparents drink. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, because you don't, everyone wants, you don't follow your parents exactly. You kind of go, oh yeah, well, I want to make it be my own man. And I want to be my own lady. I want to put my own, find things that I like myself, but you know, so you don't want the legacy of, of, of consuming their brands. And, and, you know, I think Irish whiskey has missed the generation and as uh, so the newer generation, the younger generation, I mean, younger generation, 20 to 35 to 40, uh, um, uh, are now kind of, you know, opening their eyes to what Irish whiskey can be. And I think a lot of that has come from the success 
of the bigger brands internationally and them seeing, if you go to New York and you see, you know, cool hipster bars slinging loads of Irish whiskey or you go in your J1 holiday or J1 working when they, they existed and you saw, you know, uh, uh, Irish whiskey soon in a very positive way with people that, that you, you know, you know, aspire to or were, you know, uh, want to be associated with. It, it, it resonated and I think it's come back. So, so, you know, Irish whiskey is beginning to grow and what's actually happening is, is more on the super premium, the craft side is growing and, uh, you know, uh, um, the standards are, are still doing okay, but that's where the, the growth is, is domestically. Internationally, um, um, the standard brands are still growing and the, the premiumization is at the early stage. I think by having all these newer people coming in, creating some energy, creating some competition, is forcing you know, even the bigger guys to be much more creative and relaunching a range of products. So, so it's a very uh, uh, um, diverse, let's say, category at the moment compared to what it was, but still compared to the bigger uh, producers like Scottish whiskey, which has hundreds of distilleries, or, or even in, in the US, um, hundreds of brands and distilleries, if not thousands, um, you know, we're still at the early stages of, of evolution. And look, there will be some breakout winners and there has to be as there always is and uh, I suppose that's what we're positioning ourselves to be able to and, and I think you know we came we, we were set up in 2012 um, uh, where we were ahead of the curve I suppose we had the first mover advantage we have our distillery build we have our whiskey coming of age and coming into our products uh, and the challenge for us now is to really scale and take advantage of opportunities that are there and uh, domestically internationally and and to, to help really prove that there is a demand globally for, for premium and super premium Irish whiskies. Now, Jack, I have to bring our conversation to a close shortly because we're out of time, uh, but I do want to go to your Christmas table <laughs> this holiday season because I'd love to know what it's like because your father, um, John Teeling, uh, who I've known over the years, was a great whiskey entrepreneur as well. He was involved in the Cooley uh, project too. Uh, as he used to say, uh, investment in the company wasn't for widows or orphans used to be yeah. his, his big famous line. Uh, so you'd be sitting down with him. And the reason I mentioned him is he's also involved in the industry. So I hope there won't be any, any rivalry or any fisticuffs uh, over the Christmas season. Well, I, I, well, it won't be down to the whiskey anyway, if that was the case. But Because uh, uh, he, do, he doesn't drink. So, uh, but we always say, myself and my brother, we make up for it. So uh, um, 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 it will be a, you know, a, a, a tame family affair. But you know, where I got my passion and my opportunity in the industry from him. He is still as passionate, if not more passionate now, um, because I suppose the opportunity you saw back in the 80s has, has, has only crystallized and, and uh, you know, he would be a firm believer we're only at the middle of a long-term cyclical uptrend for Irish whiskey. So, so the opportunity is bigger than ever. Um, um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely uh, share some war stories and, and, and uh, some of the, the success uh, stories and challenges from this year, but uh, hopefully we'll all be toasting a better 2021 and uh, uh, a return to some sort of normalcy. Yes, whatever your drink is, 2021 must be, has to be better than 2020. So enjoy it, whoever you are, whoever is listening. I've enjoyed your company for the last few months on these podcasts. We hope to see you again in 2021. Um, not with a sore head, but hopefully invigorated and looking into what will be a much brighter year than we've just been through. Thank you very much for my guest today, Jack Teeling, who is the Managing Director of Teeling's Whiskey. Really appreciate the guide through what is an incredibly vibrant and fast-growing Irish whiskey industry. Thank you for your company today. 